we are on Iangimo Marala, 73A, at the top of the page. And we're going to try to figure out what does Abaya do with this, uh, with this statement that we had before. So the statement was that there are certain things that apply to Shabbos that do not apply. There are certain stringencies by Shabbos that are more stringent than other types of prohibitions, and certain leniencies by Shabbos that are, do not apply by other prohibitions. So we saw what Rava did with them. That's what we finished up yesterday with. And what does Abaya do with that? This, uh, statement. What's a case of where it was b'shegeg? It was inadvertent without having intention to do it. Okay. He thought it was reik. He has something in his mouth and he thinks it's reik. He thinks it's spit, saliva. And he swallows it. However, if this would have happened on Shabbos, he would have been putter for having done the same thing. Sorry, I skipped the line. You had an intention to lift up something that was detached, and instead you ended up cutting something that was still attached. Potter, you're exempt. However, if you had intention to cut something that was already removed from the ground, to cut it from higher up, and you ended up cutting something that's still attached to the ground, according to Baya, you would be chayet. Itmar. Now we're going to continue in this Machlekas Rava and Abaya, talking about where you had intent to do one action, you ended up doing a different action. You know, three different cases. Itmar. You had in mind to throw something in the public domain, you were throwing something, but you had intent to throw only two Amas. Now we know, unless you throw four Amas, you have not violated a Torah prohibition. You had intent to throw two, you threw it four. Rava Amar Pata. Rava says you are exempt from bringing a carbon. Abaya says you're liable to bring a carbon for that type of action. Right? So here you had intent to do something that was not forbidden on a Torah level. You ended up doing something more than your intention. Is that going to be something that you're going to have to make a carbon for or not? Abayah says yes. Rava says no. Rava says you're exempt because you didn't intend to throw it for Amas. Abayah says you're obligated to make a carbon because you had intention to throw it. Maybe you didn't have intention to throw it before, but you had intention to do the act of throwing. When do you say you're putter because you did not have intention to do this act at all? When you had the intention to cut something that was already detached from the ground. Over here, you had the intention to do an act of, of throwing, right? Just the act of throwing was only going to be a two-ama throw, not a four-ama throw. So according to Abaya, that is more problematic. Okay. Um, you're throwing something in what you perceive to be the private domain. It turns out it was really the public domain. Rav Amar Pata. Rav says you're exempt. says once again you're liable. Rav Amar Pata. says you're exempt because you didn't have in mind to throw it in a prohibited way. You had in mind to throw it in a prohibited way. Have a see. You made a mistake. <laughs> but your intention is critical when it comes to malachas on Shabbos. Malachas on Shabbos. On the you know prohibited prohibited labors on Shabbos. Because you had intention to, to throw something. Once you had intention to throw something, we don't care if it was intention to throw something in a forbidden fashion or throw something in a, in a permissible fashion, you're going to be high. We need all three cases. If we would have said the first case, in a case where you intended to cut something that was already cut off the ground, so Rabbi would say over there, you're potter. Why? Because you didn't have intention to cut something in a forbidden way. But if you had in mind to throw something too and you ended up throwing a four, maybe Rabbi would have agreed to a baya in the middle case. Why? Because the act of throwing something too 
is already an act of throwing. The, the, when you differentiate between throwing an item two and four amas, the Torah looks at the four amas as being a significant number and two amas is not significant. But it's the same act of throwing. It's just an act of throwing it double the amount of space. When you talk about cutting something that's attached to the ground and still getting sustenance from the ground, as opposed to cutting something that's no longer attached to the ground, it is qualitatively a different act of cutting, right? So even if Rava says by the cutting that it's not, you're exempt for being in a carbon because you didn't do an act of cutting, you didn't intend to do an act of cutting that's forbidden. Maybe when it comes to throwing, once you intended to throw two amas, it doesn't make a difference if you actually threw four amas. Maybe indeed he agrees to Abaya that you're going to have to bring a carbon for having done so inadvertently. So therefore we need to say explicitly <laughs> that even over there he argues on Abaya. And if he would have argued in the first two cases, I might have thought, okay, fine. First two cases, he argues on Abaya. Because even in the second case where he had intention to throw it, he only had intention to throw it to Amos. Maybe that's not enough of an intention that's actually going to hold him liable. But maybe where he had intention to throw it for Amos. It's true his intention to throw four Amos was four Amos in the was to throw four Amos in the private domain, which is not forbidden. But he had the intent to throw it for Amos. Maybe in that third case, he even agrees to Abaya. You had intention to throw it for Amos. So since you had the intention to throw it for Amos and you threw it for Amos, and the only thing that's different is you didn't realize what domain you're in, maybe over there, indeed, you would be liable, even according to Rava. So we need to say all three cases that Rava argues on Abayah. If you thought it was Rishus Yachid and it turns out it was really Rishus Rabbim, the Mechavan you had intention to throw it for, maybe he's going to agree to Abayah, then indeed you're liable for that case. We need all three. Tanan. We learned in our Mishnah. It's going to be the Mishnah coming up right now. There are 40 minus 1. When it comes to the root malachas that are forbidden to be done on Shabbos, there are 40 minus 1, 39. And we said in, about that. Why do we need this, the, the counting for it? Because if you did all of them in one state of forgetfulness, you're going to be liable for all of these actions at once. According to Abaya, how do you have a case where you know that there's something that's forbidden to be done on Shabbos, but you did not know about every single one of these malachas that are forbidden to be done? Well, if you didn't know about all these malachas that are forbidden to be done, in what sense did you know about Shabbos? So it's very simple. What Abaya could say is, I'll tell you how he knows about Shabbos, because he knew it's forbidden to do these malachas, but his intent was to do a half part of that malacha, not the whole malacha. He intended to carry out only, only a half of a Gregorist. He intended to throw it only two Amis. He intended to, to grind a half of a Gregorist. He ended up grinding a whole Gregorist. So he was aware it's forbidden to do this. And he was aware of Shabbos, but he wasn't aware of the actual amount that he had in his hand. According to Abaya, that's also enough of a reason for, to make you liable to bring a carbon. According to Rubba, when you did not have intent to do a forbidden act because you intended to do less than a shear, you're not liable to bring a carbon at all. So according to Rubba, what's the case that you did, you were a shaygeh, for all 39 malachas, and you're liable for a carbon for all 39. How is that possible? What's that case? El Rava to Amar Pater. Rava says that you're exempt in a case where you had intent to do half of the action. So, How are you going to find it? How are you going to find a case where he's liable for all 39? The Gemar answers, the Zadan Shabbos, where he's intentionally violating Shabbos, but he was unaware about the malachas. This works if he holds like the opinion of Rabbi Yechanan that we said earlier. The Amar. The Rebbechanan held that even if you know it's forbidden, but you didn't know that it's a, a liable for, um, for Kares. You didn't know that if you do a Malacha on Shabbos, 
you're going to get karates, right? You'll get cut off. According to Rabbi Yechanan, he says in that case, in that case, Rabbi Yechanan says that, that in that case, you will be liable to bring a karman. Right, so then, then you could say that the case is that Rabbah, how does Rabbah find the case where you're going to be liable to bring a carbon for all 39 malachas? Because you knew that it's forbidden to do malachas on Shabbos. You even knew that these things are forbidden to be done. On, that these are the malachas. You did not, however, know that the liability is to bring a, is a courage to be cut off. Since you didn't know that, you're going to have to bring a carbon for that. And the level of inadvertence and not knowing that it's a chi of courage, that's going to obligate you to bring a carbon for all 39 malachas separately. That works then, according to Rabbah. But if he holds like Rosh Lakish, the Amar Ashe he says that you have to be a Shegeg, you have to be an inadvertent, both about knowing that this is forbidden and about knowing that the liability is courage, is, is to get the, the death penalty, right? To get the death penalty from heaven. So the other of the Shabbos, what does that mean that you knew about Shabbos? How can you say it was a Zod in Shabbos? He knew it was Shabbos, but he's violating it anyways. You don't know what Shabbos is. If you don't know that there's 39 Malachas, right? What does it mean you, don't, what does it mean you know about Shabbos? What does it even mean, right? What's the nature of the knowing about Shabbos? We, we discussed this twice already, that when we talk about knowing what Shabbos is, you can't say, I know that there's something called Shabbos, but I didn't know it's 39 Malachas. Well, then you didn't know what Shabbos is. So the Gemara answers, He was aware of one thing. He was aware of the Tchumen, the of the boundaries on Shabbos, and we must be going according to the opinion of Rabbi Akiva, who says that Tchumen, that the boundaries are forbidden on a Torah level to go at least more than 12,000 Amas, maybe not 2,000 Amas, but on a Torah level, sorry, 12 mil. And 12 mil are forbidden to do on Shabbos, even on a Torah level, according to Rabbi Akiva. So he was aware of something called Shabbos, and he was aware that there's a, there are acts that are forbidden to be done on Shabbos. He was unaware about these specific 39 Malachas. Okay. Now we come to the main attraction. You know, it would definitely be uh, somewhat helpful if we would have had this mission at the beginning of the Masechta. Um, I don't know why why um, Chazal put this, you know, 70, and not 73 black, because it's really about the Mishnah, right? But why is it in the seventh chapter? I don't know. Avas Malachas are Bayim Chasarachas. The Avas Malachas are 40 minus one. Has a Reya, one who uh, sows, right? Plants, literally, uh, you know, throw, uh, sows um, seeds in the ground. Vachayrish, someone who plows. Vachayrish, someone who uh, cuts, harvests. Vachayrish, someone who gathers together the, the bundles when they've already been harvested. Vachayrish, dash is the act of threshing. So threshing is when you have the the, the grains are still attached to the kernel. So the threshing is when you, you smash them to loosen them from the kernel, right? So that the kernel and the shaft will get loosened. But zaira, zaira is when you winnow it, right? So you throw it up in the air. There's two different types of winnowing. There was winnowing that used the, the ear, um, and there was a winnowing that instead of using the ear, um, I think you just throw it up and just gravity will separate it. So, but Zera, the idea is you've now, you've sort of started separating the, the grain itself, the kernel itself from the, the shaft and the stalk. But when you throw it up in the air, then it actually gets separated fully. Bayra is to, to separate again, right? So, so far we just had three different types of separating. So what's Bayra? Bayra is when you separate it after you've already, the Zera is when you winnow it. So you separate it fully, the, the wheat, the kernel from the grain, the kernel from the stalk and the shaft. Bayer is when you actually take out whatever's left over, right? Because even after you did that, there's still other stuff in there. It's not all kernels, and you don't want to be grinding whatever else got in there. So Bayer is when you still separate the good from the bad. Hatoichen, the grinding. Marakade is um, sifting. After you grind it, you still have some impurities. You want to sift them out. Lush, lush is the kneading. Ba'ifa is the baking. I heard from, from Rabbi Sral Gordon, who used to be in the JSN here, that you could really divide the three 
the 39 malachas into three separate categories, three separate overall categories. Three categories are one set of the malachas are a set dealing with food, one set of the malachas are the set dealing with clothing, and one set of the malachas are the set dealing with shelter. Okay, so this is the first set dealing with what we call the, the set dealing with food preparation from beginning to end. It's called also, um, I think there's a brisa that calls it Sidura um, de Pas, which means the order of the bread, right? So that's referring to this whole set of, of uh, malachas. Now we go to the next set. Hi guys, is that September? You're shearing the wool from sheep. Hamalavne, malavne is when you whiten it, right? Faminafte, that's when you um, uh, untangle it, right? and then you dye it, and you spin it. So over here, I actually, I don't know, does art school have pictures? Because this is one of the hardest things. I remember my father one time spent a, a lot of time, my father is a Rebbe, and he was learning the 39 Malachas with his students. And he spent a lot of time, he went to a farm to find out like exactly what these different um, Malachas are, like one of these farms that you know does things like they used to do before before electricity and before the industrial revolution to find out all these different things of the weaving specifically. So the, the Tferis Yisrael famously says that without actually seeing a weaver in action, it's almost impossible to understand what they're talking about in this Mishnah, what the Malacha is. So I, I have my, my Riviyat book here and I have some pictures. Um, so Mesech is... So... I, I guess I could try to show you the pictures, but um, um, did, does art school have pictures? Do you all have art school with you? And does it all have, does it have pictures? Wayne? Yeah, I'm not looking at the book right now. No, oh. no, no pictures, Rabbi. I don't know what they think you're going to do without pictures. Um, uh, <laughs> I think if I could describe it without, without, I guess I could try to show you the pictures. Um, I don't know how well you're going to be able to see it. Um, yeah, it's really not so, you know, it's such a great camera here. Um, the, uh, has anybody ever seen, uh, you know, like an ancient weave type of thing? Guys, anybody? I, I've seen, I've seen no. people working a loom before, yeah. You, you, have, have you have vertical threads and horizontal threads. Vertical threads and horizontal threads, but that's not all that you have, right? So there's also like these, these like uh, shuttles basically that sort of hold things in place and you lift them up and then you slide the threads back in on the other direction. Okay. That's the. Right. Well, that, that's the shuttle. You've got the, I mean, I'm not sure which is the warp and the woof, but the vertical threads, the, they're, they're like two sets of vertical threads on separate, separate elevations and they're, and they're operated so they can come close to one another. So you, you have the you have the horizontal threads wound on the shuttle. You pass that between the two sets of vertical threads, and then you there's a pedal on the loom which um, reverses the position of the vertical threads, and then you thread in another from the horizontal and bring it back again, and that's what makes it fall. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, okay. If that if that worked for anyone, um, so the the warp is actually the the ones the the um the vertical ones, and the the weft is the ones that are horizontal, right? So you have the vertical threads and you have the horizontal threads. So mesach is the actual is the actual um is putting them on the 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 loom, right? So you have your loom and you first put the threads on, right? So you know the warp ones, right? 
So that's Mesach, right? And I think even putting them back the other way, but before you start actually weaving them in, in and out of each other, that's still in the, in the Mesach category. Okay, so a weaving loom in the time of the Mishkan was essentially composed of two beams. One rested horizontally on top of posts set in the ground, and the second beam was connected to the post at a lower point. In between were hundreds of warp threads attached to each beam. Setting these warp threads onto the loom was Mesach. The upper beam was called the Kovet Elyon, was where the warp threads began. The lower beam was called the Kovet Tachton, was where the woven fabric was completed. At this point, the heddles, which are the Batei Nirin, were set in place. So what's a heddle? This was done by passing a reed to which a length of string was connected around every second warp thread and forming a loop. The process was repeated using a second similar reed with the first same kind of string to form loops on every and every even thread below the first reed. These loops called Batinirin were used to raise and lower the odd even threads alternately to facilitate the actual weaving, right? Because what you wanted to do is go in and out and in and out and in and out. So what you would do is you would have one thing that's attached to each, to every other um, thread. And you have it attached to every other thread, you could pull it this way, and then you could put the string in through there. And then you have it to every other thread on the other side, and you could pull it that way and stick it in like that. Now, I think that's essentially what the Bate Nirin were. Okay, so, so let's see. So what do you do over here? So in this process, first you have to, to shear it. Then you have to whiten it. Then you have to disentangle it. Then you have to dye it. Then you have to um, spin it. And then the Mesach is the first step of the weaving process. Bate Nirin is those two things that are, you would be able to attach it to every other one and lift it out of the way while it's held taut and then stick the threads on the inside. If you weave two threads, if you remove two threads, if you tie, and if you untie, if you um, actually sew two, two stitches, if you rip something on condition to re-stitch it later, right? Because if you're ripping it out, but not with the intent to re-stitch it in that same place, it's not going to be an issue because it's going to be kilkal, as we say. It'll be a destructive process and destructive processes are not you're not, excuse me, you're not forbidden to do destructive processes on Shabbos. I mean, not forbidden on a Torah level, at least. Hasad Tzvi, if you trap a deer, hashechtai, you shecht it. And this is not specific to deer. This is any type of shechting, an animal, right? Mavshitai, mavshitai is when you uh, scrape it. Um, you, not, I'm sorry, mavshitai is not scraping. Mavshitai is uh, skinning the animal. Hamolchai, when you salt the high, that's the first step of, of uh, tanning is you salt it. And you tan it. After you tan it, you then smooth it down, whatever sort of uh, organic fabric, I guess, whatever sort of organic material still on it, you're getting rid of. You cut it. If you write two letters, if you erase on the condition that you're going to be writing two letters in that place, why does that have to be on condition? Because once again, destructive acts are not going to be liable. So it has to be a, a, a destructive act for the sake of construction. So destructive act means to erase and with the intent to actually write two letters here. Habayna if you build, if you destroy. Hamachabe, if you extinguish a maver, if you light a fire. Hamakebapatash, if you hit the final uh, hammer blow. if you carry from one domain to another. The Gemara is going to ask, why do we need to say it twice? He said it once at the beginning of the Mishnah, once at the end of the Mishnah. So that's the list of the 39 malachas that are forbidden on the Torah level to do. That's the Avos malachas. That's the the header category of Malacha. 
Minyan Alamali, why do we need a 39, list 39? We can count the 39 ourselves, right? We don't need the Mishnah to tell us. We quoted this already. To teach you that if you did all 39 of these acts in one forgetfulness, in one sitting, you're going to be liable for all 39 malachas echatas for each one. This is interesting. The Mishnah tells us first you sow and then afterwards you plow. Well, any farmer worth his salt knows that no, first you plow and then you sow. Mechti. So the Gemara uses the word for, um, for plowing in Aramaic, which is you should, generally speaking, first you do the plowing and then afterwards you do the sowing. So we should have said Chayrish, which is the Hebrew word, should have said first and then afterwards said Zayra, which is, I'm oh, no, sorry, Zayra, which is to, uh, to plant. Tana, Tana Ba'eretz Yisrael Kai. No, you mentioned the boat over here. This Tana was, the Tana who wrote this Mishnah was a Ba'eretz Yisrael, was living in Israel. So what he actually did in Eretz Yisrael, they would actually first plant and then afterwards they would carve, afterwards they would sow. So what does that mean? So Rashi explains they didn't actually only plant and then sow afterwards. They would do both. They would, they would plow, then sow, then plow again because the land was very hard in Israel and that was the only way to get it to actually uh, get it into a level where you wanted it to be. Um, Tana, Azaira. The hazaymer. It says hazayreyaf. Someone plants. Someone sows literally. Hazaymer and pruning. Vahnetea and who plants, right? So plant. Netea. You wouldn't say plant when you're planting um, a seed for grain, but you would say plant when you're talking about planting a tree, right? Netea is more about a tree. The mavrik. Mavrik is um is uh getting vines to start growing. The markiv. Markiv is when you're grafting. Kulin malacha achafin. These are all considered to be one category of malacha. What's this category called? It's anything, it's all subsumed within the rea, plants, uh, sowing, but sowing is going to include not just seeds or grains or vegetables, but also trees and also anything of the nature of causing something to grow more properly, including pruning, right? Because pruning, you would think, oh, maybe that's not planting. No, anything that's going to help in the process of causing the, 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 uh, the plants or the fruits to have a better yield, that is all, all considered to be one malacha of planting. My Kamashman, what's the Chiddush? So here's the first time the Gemara explains what's the idea of an av and a, and a tolda, of the root and the descendant malacha. The, the idea is like this. Anytime you do all the malachas that are associated with one given av, you're only going to be one carbon for all of those malachas. You're not going to be one carbon for each action. So if you would do two separate malachas at the same time, right? You did two actions total, but they're completely different malachas, right? One of them is plowing and one of them is planting. You're going to have to bring one carbon for each. But if you did all the different types of, of planting, and there's many different categories, you water the field. All these are forbidden on a Torah level, but there's only going to be one av. If you do one av with all of its attendants, toldos, you only bring one carbon. That is the only difference between an av and a tolda. That, in generally speaking, if you do any one of these acts by themselves, you're going to bring a carbon. So you did all five of these acts by themselves totally, you're bringing a carbon for each one. If you do all five of these acts in one helen, in one forgetfulness, since they're all one header category, you're only going to bring one carbon total. Whereas if you did only two acts of malacha, and no matter what, you would only bring two carbonates. So either you did them together or you did them separately, right? So it's interesting. On the one end, you did, you did way, way more worse things when you did six different malachas that are all tied to one header category, but yet you still only bring one carbon. That's the chedesh of the pasuk. Amar v'acha, amar v'chiyah, amar ashi, amar rev ami. Zaymar chayav mishum neteya. Pruning, you're liable because of um, because of planting. 
but if you if you actually plant or if you do the the vines putting it together or if you do grafting not grafting of two different types of products but grafting of the same type of species otherwise anyways probably chayim of mixing together species that you're liable for for uh, for sowing what do you mean? Those are acts more of zerea than of planting? What do you mean? These are all acts that are more related to trees. So why are you calling it zerea, which implies seeds, uh, not, not seeds of trees, but rather seeds of like grain or anything of that nature, vegetables. Really, this is more similar to planting trees. What we're trying to tell you is that you could even be liable for zerea, for planting over here, right? That this is in the, this is in the category of sowing, right? He says that you're pruning, but you also needed the wood. So you're pruning because you want your tree to grow better. But simultaneously, you also need wood for your fire. Then you're going to be liable to bring two carbonates for one act. You're doing two different acts here. You're doing the act of cutting a living product from a source of sustenance, source of nourishment. And also you're doing the other act of planting. How are you planting? Because through pruning, you're causing it to grow better. So it's one act, but you're liable for two malachas. One action that has two separate results. Amr of Yosef, Haiman the Katal Aspasta, anybody who cuts Aspasta, Aspasta is not the famous um, spaghetti fields in Italy, which there was a, a BBC hoax about this in the 1960s, that spaghetti actually grows in a field in Italy. So Aspasta is actually some sort of shachat, which is the, like the leftover, um, uh, the, it's some sort of thing that basically the you have to cut it three times a year for it to actually grow, right? So, you know, many of the bushes, I think they, they cut them down and they continuously cut them down. And then at the end, they actually a lot better when it comes to the actual harvest. So you have this type of, um, of product, right? So your chayev shtayim, when you cut it at an earlier stage in the game, you're going to be liable for two carbonates. Why? One for kreitzer, for cutting, because you're going to take that the, that product and use it for fireplace, use it for, for fodder, for something, you know, for animals maybe. The achas mishum one, because you're causing it to grow. How are you causing it to grow? Because through cutting it, you're going to cause it to grow better. Amrabaya, hi man, de kaniv silka, chayev shtaim. If you cut beets, you're liable to bring two karbanas. Achas mishum kaisa, achas mishum zerea. One for cutting and one for zerea, one for planting, right? So three different categories. I imagine Tysus is probably going to say why we need to talk about these three different categories. They seem to be pretty similar categories. Three different categories where you're doing one act, but you can be liable for two different things if you have two different results that you're happy with after doing this act. plowing. In Brisa tells us that chayrish, which is plowing, chayper, which is digging. Chayrish is, um, is also digging, but it's, it's not digging a hole straight down. Chayrish is digging like a ditch. It's all one malacha. It's all the malacha of plowing. You have a gavshushis. Gavshushis is like a, a pile of dirt, right? So you have a pile of dirt and you moved it away, right? You take a, a, a broom and you, you brushed it out. If it's in the house, it's, you're liable because of the malacha baina building. How is this building? Because if you're going to be building something in a spot, you need to make it nice and flat and level. So if you're, if you're brushing out this dirt, you're brushing it out, it's like a, it's like a malacha of baina because it's part of what people do when they're building. But in a field, you're liable for chayrish, for, um, for plowing. How is this plowing? Because through moving this, um, this loose earth, you're going to cause the space to become easier to, um, to plant in. If you have a guma, you have a, a ditch. And you fill in the ditch, right? 
in a house, you're liable for baina, for building, because that's what you do in the process of building. But in a field, you're liable for plowing. Why? Because through filling up that ditch with dirt, that dirt is now going to be loose dirt. It's going to be a lot easier to, purpose of plowing is to make it easier to, to, uh, to sow. And when you fill up that ditch with dirt, you're making it easier for the whole field to now be, to now be um, seeded. If you dig a hole in Shabbos, and ditch on Shabbos, and all you needed it for is for the dirt. You did not need the, the hole in the ground. You didn't need, you just needed dirt. Then, you're exempt from being a carbon. And even Rabbi Huda is going to say you're exempt. What, what's Rabbi Huda? Because Rabbi Huda says like this. Rabbi Huda's opinion, generally speaking, is, right? Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon, we discussed it previously, earlier in the Masechta. Now, the Masechta is like this. When you're doing an action, that is forbidden to be done on Shabbos, but not for the results for which it is forbidden to be done on Shabbos, right? So it, digging a hole in the ground is forbidden because through digging a hole in the ground, you're making the ground easier to plant something in. But you're not digging a hole in the ground over here because you want to make the ground easier to plant. You're digging a hole in the ground not to prepare the ground, but rather because you want the dirt. So you're doing the forbidden action, but not for the reason that it's forbidden, not for the, the way in which it was forbidden in the Torah, in the case of the, of the Mishkan, right? So that's called a malacha shein You're doing the forbidden act, but not for its normal purpose. And Rabbi Yishimen says you are, you are pater, and Rabbi Yehuda says you're chayiv. However, over here, where you where you are digging a, a ditch, even Rabbi Shimon, even Rabbi Yehuda, who normally says you're chayiv for doing a malacha shein the forbidden act, but not for its intended purpose, he still says over here you're pater. Why? Filling in this ditch, it, we're not talking about a ditch in a field, right? Because a ditch in a field, we said, is, is going to be a problem of, um, of actual uh, digging something out. Digging something out in the field is definitely going to be a problem. So why isn't it a problem over here? So it, over here, it's not going to be mistaken. It's not going to be fixing something. It's rather going to be kilko. It's going to be a destructive act. Why is that? So the way Rashi explains is, so he says, um, basically what we're talking about here is where you're digging a ditch in your house. So digging, remember, they had dirt floors in those days, most houses. So you're digging a ditch in your house for the purpose of the dirt. So there's not even going to be a tick on here. There's not even going to be something useful that will be at the end of the day, you did dig a ditch in a place where you're going to plant. Whether you dug that ditch for the sake of getting the dirt or you dug that ditch for the sake of having a hole, either way, you did dig a ditch in a place where now you can plant. According to Rabbi Huda, you're going to be liable. Even though you didn't intend for that purpose, there still is that purpose. Whereas over here, you dug it in your house. The purpose of having a, a hole to, to plant things in is not going to apply because it's in your house. And in terms of saying, well, you did the act, you didn't do that act because you did the act not for the sake of making a hole, but for the sake of getting the dirt. And therefore, even a Behuda would agree over here that you are potter. And someone who cuts. So this is five different ways of, of cutting something off. So what, what are the different ways? Kaitzer is to cut grain. Baitzer is to cut um, uh, olives. Geider is to cut, I think, yeah, Baitzer is, Geider is tamarim. Geider is, um, is, is um, dates. Maisek is zesim. Oire is einim figs. And, um, and Baitzer is, um, is uh, grapes, right? So all these five different ways of, of uh, removing things from, from growing, growing uh, objects from the ground, they're all considered to be one malacha, the malacha of cutting. Amar Papa, hi man, deshada pisa la dekla. So Papa says, someone who throws a pisa, which is like a, 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 a chunk of dirt, he throws it at a dekla, at a, a palm tree, ba'atar tamri, and he causes the dates to fall off, right? Chayev shtayim, you're liable for two different acts. 
one for the act of um of tailish of cutting and one and one for the act of mafarak mafarak normally is um is uh, extracting something from something else so it's a little unclear what the extracting is over here so rashi says what's the mafarak here it's a tolda of dash it's a it's a dash is when you dash we said earlier is threshing right so what what do you do when you thresh you take the wheat kernel and you take it out from mishibaleha, from the the um, the shaft around it, from the stalk, right? So Rashi says the same way over there. You're taking it out from from what it's loaded up in, in the stalk and in the the shaft surrounding it. So you have a a cluster of dates. You have a cluster of um of dates on the and a palm tree. And when you throw this, and when you throw this thing at the cluster of dates, you're causing the dates to fall down. So that is also it's not just a malacha of kaiser. Not just malacha of, of toilish, which is cutting something off. It's also the malacha of um, of um, of mafarik, of removing something from its surrounding material. So I think you have to. It's a Matthias question of uh, exactly what a cluster of dates looks like. I once have looked it up. I can't remember right now offhand what it looks like, but the way it looks like, it's actually it it, it looks something similar to removing something from inside the the thing surrounding it. So that's why you'd be liable for two. Vashi says indeed you're putter from both carbonus because it's not the normal way of cutting. Normally you don't cut um you don't cut things off of a tree. You don't cut them off by throwing a cluster, throwing a you know a thing of dirt at this cluster of uh, of dates that are sitting in the tree. That's not the normal way of doing it. It's not the normal way of doing it. It's called it's called um a shinoi. It's called a a, a, um, a it's called doing something in the atypical fashion on Shabbos and doing a malach in its atypical fashion on Shabbos is putter from a carbon. Um Amer gathering Amarava Hai Man Dekanef Milcha Mi Milchasa, someone who gathers up salt from a, a salt uh, like those where they evaporate the salt in those ditches near the near the sea. Chai Mishama Amar, you're liable for Ma'amar for gathering. Baya says there's no such thing as gathering unless it's something that grows from the ground and salt that's grow from the ground. That dash, dash is the act of thrashing. Tana dash the menafet sphere. Um, these are all different ways of, of, um, of it's basically the similar, it's basically the same malacha. Menafet is pishtan, is the, is the, um, the, the flax, and menafet is the tzemer gefen, which is captain, right? So all of these are different ways of removing, so normally when we think of dash, we think of removing grains from its shaft and from its, uh, and from its stalk. But the, these are other two things that are not grains for food purposes, but they're flax, and they are cotton, they are doing a very similar act of removing it from its shaft, or in those cases, whatever it is that's surrounding the, the actual threads and the actual, um, the actual fabric that you're gonna use to make your, make your clothing, that you're removing from it, that's also in the same category and would only be one malacha total for doing all three. Okay, 